Imagine a master painter. With every stroke he lays down on a canvas, the world around him shifts a little. People gather, whispers spread, and the tales of his work cross continents. But what makes his paintings enchanting isn't just the blend of colors or the narrative he depicts, but the emotion each viewer feels. It's a desire to own a piece of this creation, to bring it home and treasure it. In essence, the painter doesn't just create art, but he crafts an audience that yearns, cherishes, and invests in his masterpieces. Now let's shift our gaze to the bustling world of B2B SaaS. While our canvas is the digital space and our strokes are products and services, the core principle remains, creating something so valuable that it beckons an audience. In this realm, it's not just about developing a tool or a service. It's about fostering a dedicated community that not only uses your tool, but becomes an advocate for it. The artistry lies in not only building this audience, but understanding how to turn your admiration into tangible rewards. Monetizing the rapport and the relationship you built. Our master painter today is Yannick Vase, CMO and co-founder of Hype Fury. Yannick's canvas is the vast realm of social media, and his strokes are ingeniously crafted strategies that not only captivate an audience, but monetize them. Under his leadership, Hype Fury, a proud Paddle customer, has navigated the waves of acquisitions and strategic shifts, the most notable being their acquisition of Black Magic, a deal so significant it caught the eye of Elon Musk himself. In today's episode, we're pulling back the curtain on the master strokes of Yannick's techniques. Dive into the world of Hype Fury, discover the intricacies of building an audience in the SaaS world, and unravel the mystery of their high-profile acquisitions. From Paddle, it's Protect the Hustle, where we explore the truth behind the strategy and tactics of B2B SaaS growth to make you an outstanding operator. I'm Ben Hillman, and on today's episode, Yannick Vaze speaks with Paddle's Andrew Davies about building and monetizing an audience. After you finish the episode, check out the show notes for a field guide from today's episode. Then, while you're leaving your five-star review of the podcast, tell us what resonated most about our guest advice. Let's just dive in. Yannick, why don't you um, give me the little background on yourself and then also on Hype Fury? So my name is Yannick and my background, I have probably about 15 years of marketing experience. Started a bank, hated it. Then uh, I was, luckily I was hired into a digital marketing agency. And yeah, things really started then, you know, I think in the first two weeks I had my first side project up and running and I've been entrepreneurial all along. And then Hype Fury, I didn't even, I didn't even start Hype Fury. Sammy started it. And I think after three or so months, he posted a topic on Ineaker saying he wanted a marketing co-founder. I reached out. I spent a weekend in Paris. We hit it off. It was cool and co-founded the business together. That's it in a nutshell. Fantastic. So why don't you just give us a little bit of the background behind what Hype Fury does and who it does it for? Basically, the first thing Hype Fury did was you could schedule your tweets and your threads on Twitter, which is called X these days. But that was the first thing it did. Sammy was around like a couple of communities. He was in a couple of paid communities. And these people were all salespeople. They wanted more people in there, in their communities, were more paid members. And so it was also always looking like, how can I improve the also the money-making side of being on Twitter? Because everybody's on there uh, tweeting away, but not really making any money. Hyperi basically is, you know, you could call it the creator suite that helps you post content, create content, but also like monetize your audience. And so we have all these automations set up that help you turn one piece of content into many different pieces and 
We also help you, you know, build a newsletter audience, sell things. If you, for instance, have courses on Gumroad and stuff like that, we have a lot of automations behind that. And how many customers do you have at Hype Fury? Thousands. Actually, we don't mention any specific numbers anymore, but we have many, many thousands. And what is the perfect customer of Hype Fury? Perfect customer. Well, what we see is a lot of people like below one or 2,000 followers on Twitter. They just, they give up pretty quickly because, you know, it's really hard to build an audience. You really have to spend a lot of time doing it. And so our ideal customer is somebody who has over 2,000 followers, has either his own agency or somebody who is like selling digital courses. That's our ideal customer. The story started when Sammy wanted a marketing co-founder and you met each other on India Hackers. Tell me a bit more about what you were looking for, what he was looking for and why this worked. I co-founded a business before with something like Uber for service professionals in the Netherlands. After three years, I sold my shares and I moved on. I started freelancing again, but I just had this itch. So I wanted to do something and I was just browsing on on India Hackers as I was posting there as well. But also I was sometimes checking like the um, financial a partner section. Yeah, I thought, why not want to respond to this guy who just built something on Twitter? I, I back then I had, I don't know, like 600 followers. My, my posts were really shit. But I thought, well, I might not know a lot about like the Twitter thing, but I do know a lot about like marketing and growing a business. And so I thought it was really interesting because I would learn how to build an audience, which was interesting to me, and I could help the business grow. It was interesting for me to learn new things, but also I knew, and, and that was part of the deal actually. So I went, I went to Paris and we agreed that we work on the business for two months free. I had no backup plan in the sense that I was still doing freelance work, but I would just, I, I was just going all in. I would say, well, I'm just going to show Sammy that I can grow this business, that I'm not just talk, but also um, I can walk the walk. And for two months, you know, the, the, the business grew rapidly and yeah, we, we also, we hit it off, you know, it was a good vibe. Like every co-founder, it's like, it's couples therapy as well. You know, it's a marriage, you have to get used to each other. And I think the two months, honey, moon uh, was 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 good for us and um, yeah it's it's still working we're still uh, we're still doing well and I've yet to meet another guy that's so young but so professional in his in his doing so that's that's great um talk to us about the stage and shape of the business now so you're not saying customer numbers but it's many thousands and you started off just the two of you so maybe talk about team size or your MRR or where you are team size I think we're at about 20 people we have two people who do customer success we have about six developers and we have so but I think six seven marketers and Sammy and me and then a couple of other people that's that are floating around there so that's the main thing and I you know the marketing team is pretty much channel based so somebody's responsible for affiliate marketing somebody's doing email somebody else is responsible for the website and the SEO stuff like that and then less familiar with but we have product manager he does all the stuff in ClickUp you know all the assignments and the user stories and um, things like that we pretty much doing sprints we weren't big enough I would say six months ago dev size wise but right now we are big enough to do sprints and stuff so we were starting with that very cool and your specialist topic is how you build an audience and monetize that audience on social you help many people through your own profile uh, also through the company profile as part of what your you know, the alignment of yourself in the business now let's talk to our audience of thousands of SaaS founders who want to build their own audiences and monetize them where do you start when someone starts a company or perhaps even before they start a company on this journey of growing and monetizing their audience the old saying of build it and they will 
will come, that's completely false. So nobody will come. And there are like a, a million great businesses lying on the graveyard in Silicon Valley and, and wherever. Uh, so you have to promote your business. And if you're not doing it, then nobody will do it. Especially like if you're a solo founder or bootstrapping. And I think many people who are using Paddle are. So it's really important that you build your own audience and get your own group of people who are interested in doing what you're doing. What I would do is literally zero followers uh, anywhere is I would first see, okay, who talks about things I'm also interested in? Who's maybe even has like a similar product of mine because I want their users. And so you start following those people, start commenting on their posts. I see a lot of people, especially like on Twitter, which doesn't have a real discoverability feature. They just tweet on their own timeline. But, you know, if you don't have any followers, nobody will see your tweets. It's different on, on TikTok and maybe some other platforms. But if you specifically talk specifically Twitter, it's really important that you just, you know, you have to punch your way into the crowd, you know. And a great way of doing that is just following a lot of people. And I would say 50 people who are like really the, the, the legends in your in your niche, in your category. And then try to find like-minded people, other founders who are in, in similar spaces as you. And really it's a social media. So not just talk at them, but also, you know, slide in the DMs, tell them how cool you think their business is. And I think that's the beginning of building your own audience. And then slowly you'll start to see, you know, you don't have to post like one or twice a day in your own timeline. Slowly you'll see, okay, these types of posts tend to do better than other types. And then you can start focusing on those posts, create better ones. And then there's an whole, whole world behind tweeting. I still call it tweeting, even though it's something else. That I don't know even how to pronounce it. But they, like some people share stories, other people share wins, other people, they are more like the literate versions, like real, they, 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 you know, they could be a writer. So there are all kinds of different ways of sharing things on Twitter and, and gaining an audience. And I think you have to just find your way. It's not something that, You'll, you'll find on day one it takes it took me a long time and I hired a couple of people to help me get there because I was a bad writer uh, my English wasn't that good you know I'm not a not a native speaker so I, t- I had to work to, to get it done so you had a, a special reason to make sure you got good at this which was that you're also promoting a company in the space and to be authentic you had to do that we probably both know many many people have started this journey and then dropped out before they saw any results so how long do you think people have to commit to this journey of engaging building followership posting before they actually start to see that growth? I think you're probably top 0.1% if you can reach like a thousand followers in 30 days. It's possible, but you really have to spend like hours a day to get there. And so not many people have that time. Some people say, I want to reach that goal in this amount of time. I would turn around, I would say, you know, just have fun. Don't take Twitter or any social media so serious. Have fun, follow the right people, and, you know, let it be part of the journey instead of setting a goal and saying, I need to, I need to have 1,000 followers by then or 10K by then. Sell you down a little bit more. And on the way, just keep sharing about your product. You will find your way, but you have to stick to it. And it will take a lot longer for many people to get to 1,000 followers. Probably some will take probably six months. And then once you have a thousand followers, then it starts a little bit. Then you get a bit more of an organic reach. Then you'll get a bit more likes and comments on your posts. And then you'll start getting a smile on your face because of the notifications. But that's not how I would look at it. I would look at it every time you post something, that's when you've learned something. And you know, a lot of people don't post anything because they think, yeah, I'm not going to get any likes on this anyway. But that's not the point. The point is posting. And then, you know, whatever comes after that is bonus. We've now got to a thousand followers. What's your playbook for the founder that's now crossed that magic thousand threshold? Maybe is starting to see 
some notifications come back as a result? Why do they know that they should keep going? What's the kind of results they should uh, look for? And most importantly, what tactics should they follow in order to continue that growth? Up until like 500 followers, then it's mostly commenting on our people. Once you start to have like 500 to 1,000 followers, then you can really start tweeting a bit more in your own timeline. And there it's more about quantity versus uh, sorry, quality versus quality, really. If you can do a lot of great posts and great threads or long-form posts, then by all means do it. There are people who do 30 threads in 30 days. Well, it's a lot of work and you need a lot of ideas to do it. It's more of a mindset thing. I would say act like uh, you're not a consumer, but you're a producer. So what do producers do? They're con constantly on the lookout. Okay, what's happening in the world? What did I learn from this podcast? What can I deduct from, I don't know, something in the news or a blog I wrote? Keep notes I don't know, almost 200 drafts in my in my Hype Fury um, draft. So I could I could literally, I could sit down right now and I'll have 100 tweets lined up. If you don't feed the beast, it's very hard to really get things on, on paper. And so start by uh, creating more drafts and that make, that'll make it easier to uh, write thread about, threads about things. What really helps is if you tweet about things and you get a bit of engagement on those tweets a bit more than others, you could dive into those topics and create threads out of that or long form posts then it's just basically finding what works and keep keep at it. And what you see is that mostly threads do really well, long-form posts do really well. They tend to get just a bit more engagement than single tweets. If you're building, like especially SaaS founders, if you're building something, you've literally made your first uh, sale, you've got your first panel notification, share that on Twitter. People love that. I was telling Andrew before the show, like Sammy and I, you know, we used to fight, quote unquote, who got to share this month's growth rate. We were at 10K and then at 12 and then at 15K. And every every month we would share that, I would get hundreds and hundreds of followers because people want to know, who is this guy? What are they doing? I want to know. They're doing something cool because they're growing every month. They must be doing something right. I want to follow this person. That's what really helps. You know, other ways, maybe more questionable ways. It's more like, I would say, an, an honor system. But a lot of people, do is they create something they create something a lead magnet probably a lot of people heard of it it's just you know help somebody in a significant way but don't charge any money and just say hey and you can do that on twitter say hey i just created this fantastic thing you can download it for free just like and uh, comment on this post and i'll dm you and that's a great way of getting engagement and once you have like 500 to 1,000 followers, that's when, you know, those types of posts tend to start doing a little bit as well. And you can just rinse and repeat that. You can have that same lead magnet, but uh, promote that in a different type of post and see which one works better and just repeat that. And that's one of the things we automate with Hypefury. So all the DM sending, you know, if everybody comments, then we'll send an automated DM and it's just an easy way to grow. But it's not something you should do like every day. It's probably something you should do maybe once a week or a couple of times a month. You mentioned publishing your MRR and that was something that really worked for you. And I know you've commented before on the power of building in public. I think you, know, you have people in the different camps of loving doing this and hating doing this. And often as people scale, they stop building in public. Why don't you tell us a bit more about your experience of building public, the positives, the negatives, and what you say to founders who are asking whether they should do this or not? Yeah, so in the beginning, it worked very well for us, but we got a lot of attention. But we were also one of the few players back then. When you share your numbers, other people will also see that, and 99 out of 100 won't do anything with that. But there are a few that will see that and will think, well, I can also do that. And that's basically what happened to us is like a lot of competitors came on the market. It didn't even hurt us that much. It, it actually, quite the opposite. We Our growth rate actually 
increased when uh, comparisons came because more people were talking about the things we were doing. So it was actually a, a good thing, but still we thought, well, I don't know if we want even more competitors. So that was one of the reasons we decided not to be so open anymore about like all our, our numbers. But I think up until like when you have 10K or 20K MRR, it's only a good thing, literally. A lot of people will literally want to know who is this person? What is he building? I want to know. I actually want to try. I know like also people are uh, sharing like uh, how a course uh, did, you know, how many sales they had. And if, if you see that and you see like, oh, 100 people bought this course yesterday, let me check out the course. Oh, this course sounds interesting. I'm going to I'm gonna buy it. And the same goes for your product. Oh, that's interesting. 100 people started using this last month. That's interesting. Why would they do that? I'm going to check it out. So it's literally no brainer to do it, you know, up until a point. But that's something I would say it's, it's personal. And you'll probably see like there's a point in time like right now we don't need to share public anymore. Uh, we have like at autonomous growth, I would say, but definitely in the beginning. And then I think and one of the parts what a lot of people shouldn't forget is like when we started, one of the first thing we, we did was, okay, we build in public, we share the things we're working on, but we also started an affiliate program. And that's like you hire like in an external marketing agency, like an army of people who have a YouTube channel and blogs, and they also have Twitter accounts and other social accounts. So, and they were actually doing the talking for us. And that's one of the nice things about affiliate marketing is you don't have to pay upfront and people will also build in public for you. I think that's, that's also a great tip to, to enable early on in your journey. I know one of the accusations against the building public movement is of MRR inflation, that people overestimate or overquote the MRR in order to gain followership. Do you think that happens often, that there's a bias for people to overstate their numbers in order to try and drive followership? And how do you think about combating that? I've seen one example where it happened, but for us, we've never overinflated. We just shared our numbers as they were. I am a marketer at heart, so I think everything is marketing. (laughs) <laughs> and so there's a gray zone of, you know, if you're doing 10K MRR, you're sharing that you have 100K, that's probably pretty dishonest. But if you share that you have 12 or 15, I would say, yeah, it's everything is marketing. So I'm probably, I'm a bit more on the dark side. But although I haven't, I haven't actually done it myself. Why didn't, why didn't you tell me this before, Andrew, that people do this? I'm a bit more on the dark side, but I, I didn't do it myself, but I, I would say it's all marketing. If it's all marketing, as you've said before, what do you do to help founders that are perhaps they don't bias towards sharing publicly or engaging in this way or writing content? Or as you said, you know, English is not their first language. How do you think about helping founders who are in any of those situations where this doesn't come naturally? Uh, it's very hard, but I would say you're not tweeting for for your audience. You're taking notes for yourself. You're not lecturing others. You're just documenting your journey. And so you could also see this as, who cares how many followers I have? I'm not looking at follower counts, likes, comments, whatever, impressions. I'm just documenting. This is just, you know, I don't know, my GitHub for my, uh, end up with then the marketing side of, of, of my, my, my journey. And I think, you know, we haven't done the analysis on it. We could, we could do this actually where we're going to do quite a bit big analysis on all our users but i'm a hundred percent certain that people who share things who build in public their growth rate is just outrageously larger than somebody who doesn't so you're literally shooting yourself in the foot you you might think yeah nobody's gonna care well people will care and people will buy your shit so do share social media posting is the github for your marketing journey i love that who are the who are the creators? Who are the the people you follow and you learn from? Who are the people who you think are standout examples of growing their social media audience for this purpose? Kieran Drew, Alex Meathers, Justin Welsh, of course, everybody uh, names him. Who else? I have to check my 
DMs and yeah, Erica Schneider is great. Kathleen Bourgois, probably from Canada. She's great. Wes Keo. Those are a couple of people I really admire and they've done brilliantly. They're great storytellers and that's one of the things like I've yet to nail really good storytelling. It's probably my lack of proper English, but the people who grow the fastest on Twitter are the, are the best storytellers. And so if you can extract simple things from your life and tell a story about that, then people are going to feel attracted to that. You can tell mini stories in a tweet. You can tell long stories in videos or whatever, but those people win the crowd for sure. You mentioned you look up to people like Justin. I know that he's covered Hype Fury and Black Magic before, you know, when he's talking about the tools that he uses. Um, have you done anything specific about reaching out to very well-followed accounts to try and get them to use Hype Fury as part of your own growth? Or has that just happened organically? Some happened organically, but some happened inorganically. We just we literally reached out with Justin. I can't remember who reached out to who, but I do remember that he tried a competitor and he wasn't happy with that. And that's when we came into contact. But I don't know who reached out to I can It was it, this was years ago. I think this was probably three years ago or some two years ago. So that's it's also probably hard for founders, especially for for technical founders. Is is do I reach out? Won't I feel pushy? But the best thing to do is start with your own users. Just do a select star from database and uh, whatever, and literally see okay who's on social, who's sharing things that are aligned with uh, how I think about the world, and then uh, is this person talking about things that are you know closely. Aligned line to my business, reach out and say, hey, I would love it if you would share something. I can do X or Y for you. We have an affiliate program. Some people don't care about it. Start there. And then you'll slowly build trust in yourself saying, oh, I can do outreach. Uh, People actually want to share something uh, about my business. Start there. And then slowly you can reach out to other people like more in a cold, cold outreach way. A lot of your business is on Twitter. A lot of your work is on Twitter. That environment, that ecosystem changed dramatically following uh, Elon Musk's takeover um, and, of course, the rebranding to X. Talk to me a bit about you know how that impacted you, um, how that impacted your business. Yeah, so this was a couple of months ago already, I think February, March, April. We started hearing rumors that Twitter might really rake up their API plans. Like back then, we were hardly paying anything. And we heard some rumors from people that, you know, the minimum amount, like a business our size would have to pay was like 42K a month. And so we quickly reached out to Twitter saying, hey, uh, what's up? Uh, We want to (laughs) know what's going to happen. It actually turned out to be true. So we were actually literally one of the first business in this sphere that said, okay, we we apply to the enterprise plan. We'll pay 42K, even though it's like a shit ton of money. And um, we have you know better use for that but the, the, we could afford it but a lot of other businesses couldn't afford it a lot of a lot went under they just abandoned their project they just couldn't afford it anymore uh, which was really a pity there were a lot of cool mini tools like you could a b test your profile see like what uh, profile picture was better what header was better there were all these cool little tools but you know they only had i don't know one two three k mrr so it was just not sustainable and then there were those like black magic for example they were doing quite a bit of mrr but not enough to sustain themselves and so we reached out we said hey this is coming probably coming well for sure have you thought about what you want to do Tony, he wanted to sell because, you know, he wasn't making uh, 42K MRR. And so he was starting to lose money on, on his project. And so literally within, I don't know, within less than two weeks, we closed the entire deal, I think. There was like a 
big time squeeze. We actually, we told Twitter like, hey, we're probably going to acquire this tool. Can you already like put them under our enterprise plan? Otherwise, you know, they would lose access already. So it was quite a, quite a roller coaster. And the, the, the funny thing is this actually went all the way up to Elon, this acquisition, because Blackmagic was doing so uh, many API calls. They were like in the top 4% of API calls of all of Twitter. So probably OpenAI and then Blackmagic. But um, we actually had to, you know, juggle a little bit with, with Twitter because they were doing about 350 million API calls per month. And on the enterprise plan, like you could do 50 million. You had to reduce the calls by at least seven uh, fold. And you know, we also had our own calls. So there was quite a bit of uh, juggling there. We had to optimize a shit ton of, uh, of calls. But in the end, that worked out. And, and yeah, we got to acquire a great business that added fantastic features to our business, added some MRR that would compensate for the 42K a month. And then, yeah, we even did a couple more acquisitions. So in total, we acquired four businesses in that a good time for us, a bad time for people who, yeah, who had like an indie project. The acquisition was actually signed off or visible by Elon. You did another three or four as well. I'm not sure if you've disclosed all of those. Talk to us a little bit about how that's gone down post-acquisition. So I'm sure, you know, there was a good product fit uh, in terms of the features it was adding as well as the revenue it was adding. Have any of those team members or founders stayed around too? Yeah, so actually none of the team members stayed. One one team member stayed, but all the rest left. There was a great overlap feature. So uh, we were using an outside service that was hit also by the big API bill that was coming. They were going to change their entire pricing strategy to survive, but that would mean we would pay outrageous fees for them. So we looked at like competitor tools and we, for like, I would say five or 10K, we could buy a competitor and then we would probably in, in three or four months, we would make that money back because otherwise we would have, you know, spent that same money on, on the service we were using. So that was a good move. And then the others, which are called Hivu and Inbox, it's basically like DM, CRM and lead gen in, in DMs. That's the gist of it. Which also, like, we didn't have those features. It's not integrated yet. We've, we've had to do a lot of work on uh, getting our calls reduced. Twitter is deprecating a lot of endpoints. So we have to, like, you know, move all our endpoints to the new API versions. There will come a time when we'll, you know, integrate more things, but right now they're pretty much still separate. But like it, it's a great suite of tools because they're all very aligned and they don't really overlap. So it's great. And how did you fund those acquisitions? Some just out of pocket and others were partly uh, seller finance. So we're still paying off Blackmagic, for example, we're still paying Tony. And we have a small part to pay still for Inbox and, and Hivery. And looking back on that process, do you think you should have swung harder and looked at acquiring more tools in a roll-up roll up there? Or are there any you regret? There are no regrets, actually. I think we ate all we could, I think. We were very, very saturated at the moment. Like, our, our workload is, is very high. And I think, like, Blackmagic was a great deal for us. And the other two, Hive Inbox as well. And then the other thing, which we did integrate, but it's just it was just a copy-paste of the old thing we already used. That was more like a cost-saving thing than anything else. I think, uh, looking back, I think we've done a great job. And I wouldn't actually, I wouldn't have acquired any other business. I, I, you know, literally, we're, we're very saturated at the moment. And now, as you think about, you know, the next 12 months, we're in a, a, a rocky time for B2B SaaS. How are you thinking about hype? Fury's growth and your audience growth and your revenue growth. So with the acquisitions of the other tools, 
we're now building like more or less like some middleware, a gateway. So we have a great insights into what all the usage is of the different tools. It's a bit of a pause at the moment of like launching major features. But I, I do think like, and this probably will be finished I think this month, starting next month again, we'll launch LinkedIn integration and we'll launch a couple of, of big features. And I think I'm not worried for the future. It's been a, a, a difficult ride, like the last, I would say, six months, but we're now slowly getting into like calmer waters and I'm, I'm yeah, I'm very positive about the future. And what do you think about the future for your customers, those who are trying to build their audience? And um, it feels like there's been a real zeitgeist over the last few years of not just building public, but people seeing that they could build and monetize their audience across all different channels. Do you see that as a, a tide that's going to continually rise? Do you see any step change or challenge coming in that wider market? It's a great time still to start. ChatGPT helps, but I think what a lot of people will find out is that it can only help so far. There's a lot of content creation uh, with ChatGPT, but I think some services will start, I don't know, maybe even flagging. Uh, AI content or I think something something will happen there because you see it is like on LinkedIn it's like it's insane the amount of chat GPT replies you you get and I think on on Twitter it's also pretty big um, so I think something will happen there AI is great to get you started but you do need your own voice your own story your unique you to share and and I think a lot of people are skipping that step. They just think, well, I, I'll just ask a computer and then he'll help me. But you'll only get that far. And so once people realize that AI can't do everything for you, you really need to, we're humans and we'd like to talk to other humans, not to robots. Maybe like a small su- subset of people would like to talk to robots, but I'm not one of them. So yeah, uh, live an interesting life. And I think, you know, a lot of people will find out that that's prerequisite to building an audience. Well, a Paddle, um, we love having you as a customer and it was a real delight to see a Paddle customer acquire another Paddle customer when you acquired Blackmagic. Maybe let's just end on the monetization process here. So Tony monetized Blackmagic in one way and then through his customers and then a second way by finally selling uh, that business to you. Um, how else are you talking to and helping your customers and the customers of your customers to monetize the audience that you're helping them build? Mostly we do that in two ways. So we help people get a lot more newsletter subscribers. So we, we call it auto plug. So for example, if your tweet has 10 likes, we'll automatically comment with a plug. So we'll see, hey, join my newsletter. You know, if you like this tweet, maybe you like my newsletter. And that's one thing maybe the technical founders will find interesting. You're actually not pushing the self-promote button yourself or doing that for you. And so it's like a little bit further away which will make it easier for you to promote yourself. That's one way we do it. We have other automations. For example, that's mostly for course, course-based sales, where a lot of our customers sell courses. For instance, on Gumroad, you could say, well, this course, I'm going to put it on sale right now. So for the next hour, uh, it's 30% off. And then we auto comment saying 50 minutes left, 40 minutes left. And then once the sale's over, we completely remove the tweet so nobody will ever see that you've done a sale. You can do that uh, also on, on quantity base. You could say, well, for the next 10 or the next 20, it's 30% off. And then we count down 18 left, 16 left, whatever. And so it creates, creates a bit of FOMO. And if people weren't online that hour, then they wouldn't even have noticed that you did a sale. So it's it's a great way to do it. You know, it's, it's good for your honor system because not everybody will think, man, this guy's selling something again. Yeah, those are, are probably the main ways we help people monetize their audience. Are there any final thoughts you want to give to our audience of SaaS founders and go-to-market leaders? Don't be afraid to, to get started. And when, when you start, you'll have one, one or zero followers anyway. Maybe your mom or your, your best friend or your girlfriend will, will follow you, but all the rest, you know, 
you'll, you'll be tweeting in a void or posting in a void and it's also comfy. You can just start and see how it goes. You'll get better and the better you get, the more followers you get. And in the beginning, you'll be pretty shit, but nobody's watching anyway. So just start. Shout out to Yannick for being on the show. Make sure to give Protect the Hustle a five-star review and tell us what lesson from today's episode was your favorite. Thanks for listening. Subscribe to and tell your friends about Protect the Hustle, a podcast from Paddle Studios, dedicated to helping you build better SaaS.